Well, folks, I'm just going to shift things around here a little bit. And uh, as we get ready for uh, digging into the message today. And uh, yeah, today we, uh, we launch into our... Uh, new series, <clears throat> uh, study that we're doing on growth and maturity uh, that, that will be guided, of course, first and foremost by the scriptures, um, but also by this book by Peter Schizero, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, I want to be really clear this morning that... Uh, you know, we don't, uh, we don't take our authority from any book except the scriptures. Uh, this is our authority. Um, the Bible is sufficient for life and health and peace and, uh, and all that we need uh, to, to discover God and his presence and who he is. Um, but there are guides that come along from time to time that help us navigate the scriptures and apply the scriptures to our lives. And, uh, that, and I would say that this book that we're going to dive into in the next eight weeks is one of those guides. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. Pastor Pam for... I'm going to have one of very good ones for you, too. Coffee. <laughs> Hope you're all enjoying uh, a snack or a, be a beverage as well. Uh, invite you to, to stay focused with me for t today's a really important morning as we launch this series and it's unfortunate that we're doing it uh, online only this morning but uh, but I trust that you're going to dig in just the same um, the subtitle and premise of this book is uh, is it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Um, many of us have had painful experience with people that we would have thought had been mature in the faith, uh, but instead we found them to be uh, harsh or manipulative or gossiping or judgmental. Maybe you were hurt by that person uh, and their behavior, or maybe that person was you, or both. And, and uh, as we look around, we see leaders on the international stage in the church imploding and things happening that, that shock and surprise us. And we wonder what happened, what possibly could have happened. One of the big gaps, I think, that explains this is that we often use faulty measures to determine spiritual maturity. Uh, we think that if someone has been a Christian or been in the church for decades, they must be mature, right? Um, Pete Schizero, in this book, um, shares a, a quote from a guy in his church in uh, Life Fellowship, New Life Fellowship in Queens, New York, uh, a guy named Jay. And Jay says this, I was a Christian for 22 years. 
But instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. Jay realized that for the first two decades of his walk with Jesus, he really didn't let the truths of God go deep into his life to change his attitude or his heart um, towards people. And he, he just learned the basics of what it meant to look like a Christian and to sound like a Christian and pretty much kept living as he had uh, before he was a Christian, after he was a Christian, for most of, most of, what, uh, most of his life. Um, our years in the church, how many years we've been in the church, are not a good measure of our maturity. Neither is how many times we've read the Bible or how many Bible verses we've memorized. I've shared before about a guy that we will call Terry, not his real name. Uh, I would go and visit Terry, and every time I did, he would tell me how many times that he had read the Bible. Oh, pastor, I've read the Bible 22 times, and when I finish it this time, I'm going to read it through again. And that's what every Christian needs to do, is they need to read their Bible. And uh, the problem was, Terry's family wouldn't talk to him. His wife and kids wanted nothing to do with him. He moved into a nursing home in, in his last years, uh, and no one visited him besides me. Um, he was miserable and mean, and he had burned all of the bridges in his life. It was very sad. But for all of Terry's Bible reading, he was incredibly immature when it came to his ability to love the people around him. In the letter of 1 Corinthians, um, Paul wrote uh, his whole letter to address some serious maturity issues that he was seeing in the church there. Um, the thing is, in, in chapter 1, uh, he writes this. He says, <clears throat> For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. I mean, that's a pretty amazing commendation, right? He's, he's saying to them, they had knowledge, they had eloquence in teaching, uh, they had powerful testimonies. They were moving in all the spiritual gifts. They had it all, it seemed. But then look what he says in chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? The instructions that Jesus gave us uh, were to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then the night before he went to the cross, he said, a new commandment I give you. He added a third one to the mix. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. 
right? And, and so if, if love is what sums up Jesus' expectations of us, then should not how we behave towards one, one another, how we behave towards people, be one of the most important measures of whether we're advancing in our spiritual maturity. I really think that's what most of the New Testament is trying to tell us. So that being the case, how is it that we can have people who have been following Jesus for decades, but treat other people so badly? How does this happen? I think we've often excused it by just saying, you know, well, we're all human, nobody's perfect. And although that's true, we all will continue to fail and make mistakes and, and sin from time to time. Um, we ought to be progressing in our journey. We ought to be growing, right? In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The problem is we often only want enough transformation to look Christian, not enough for us to have to have to actually change. Ouch. Right? The image, the image on the cover of the emotionally healthy book, the emotionally healthy spirituality book, is one of an iceberg. And the author uses this analogy in the book to compare to our lives. There's only about 10% of an iceberg. Probably most of you have heard this uh, somewhere before. There's only about 10% of an iceberg that is visible above the surface. That means most of the iceberg remains unseen. And the author's suggestion is that we are capable of changing the parts of us that people see while actually remaining almost completely unchanged in our lives. And the point, of, the point of this book and, and the point of the journey that we're going to take for the next eight weeks is to look at how we go about recognizing the parts of us that we have avoided changing and how we go about letting Jesus touch those areas in our lives to change them. So the, the first chapter of the book talks about 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And, uh, and so we're going to dive into that right now. We're going we're gonna to run through those 10 symptoms. <laughs> Pam says this, is, this isn't very encouraging. You, when you go to the doctor, right, you've got to hear the bad news first. You've got to hear the symptoms. You've got you've to have the diagnosis and then move into the, the hope and the encouragement that, that there is, uh, there's an answer, right? And, uh, and so here we go. We're going we're gonna to walk through the 10 symptoms. I encourage you to keep your hearts open. At the end of the book, there's a prayer, or at the end of this chapter in the book, there's a, there's a prayer. And it starts by saying, God have mercy on me. And, and when I read the, this, um, this chapter again uh, recently, it, it really hit me the same way. God have mercy on me. God, I know there, 
I have symptoms on this list that, that I need you to, uh, to, to touch my heart and my life in this series. All right, so here we go. Um, first symptom, using God to run from God. Using God to run from God. That might sound really strange. But it's, it's doing Christian behaviors or religious behaviors or good works so we will feel good about ourselves and others will think well of us. That's one aspect of it. Or comparing our level of commitment with that of someone else's so we feel better about ourselves. Or using spiritual talk and language. Um, you know, churchianity, church churchies, um, to avoid actually talking about the real me and the real, my real heart. Using scripture out of context to justify my mistreatment of others. Or spiritually controlling or manipulating others with the God told me trump card, right? You can't, you can't argue with me because God told me this and, uh, and that, that settles it. Um, and, and so, you know, oftentimes to avoid letting God get through the, the surface into our, into our hearts, we can put up this, this smoke screen of, of religion, religion and godliness, um, and, and that's a problem. Second uh, symptom is ignoring anger, sadness, and fear. We tend to categorize emotions as good emotions or bad emotions, um, and, and we feel guilty about bad emotions and either stuff them or ignore them. Um, but really, emotions are just emotions. Um, I mean, they may, we may enjoy them or not enjoy them, but they're, they're just, they are feelings that happen in our hearts. Um, the Bible's instructions, for example, around love and joy and faith, are not telling us to suppress our feelings but in recognizing them and listening to what they're telling us to then not park by them or let them lead us to sin, but to lead our emotions to victory in love and joy and faith. Right? So we can actually, we can actually move to deeper freedom if we embrace what we're feeling and then move to deal with those feelings in a healthy way. All right? Um, thirdly, dying to the wrong things. Jesus said that if we wanted to follow him, we needed to take up our cross daily and follow him. Uh, and so there is indeed a death that needs to happen to be a Christ follower. But it's a death to our worldly fleshly and selfish desires and a surrendering to God's purpose for our lives. However, there are some aspects to God's purpose that he's already hardwired into your life. If you love, for example, if you love photography, that's not worldly, fleshly, or selfish if it's used to glorify God. So you don't need to die to your love of photography. 
when we die to beautiful things that God has made for us, we're actually left with an empty form of living. And it's no wonder that some Christians are miserable about following Jesus because they think they have to die to all of the, the beautiful things in their life. Fourthly, denying the impact of the past on the present. Okay, so Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And some people take this verse to mean that we should never look back at our life before, before at, sorry, we should never look back at how our life before Christ affects us now. We should just move forward. But it's interesting that Paul says this, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what's ahead. He says this after recounting a whole bunch of details about his past. Right? So Paul isn't saying, don't look back and deal with what you need to deal with so it doesn't keep you anchored in the past. In fact, if we refuse to look back and deal with the pain of the past, we will be anchored to the past, whether we want to or not. And many times, I find people lash out at others based on the pain in their lives that they've never let Jesus touch and heal. All right? Number five, dividing life into sacred and secular. We can be really good sometimes at compartmentalizing our lives. Jesus can have, you know, Jesus can have an hour and a half on Sunday morning, but the rest of my time is mine to live however I please. But Jesus didn't ask you to join a club and go to meetings. He invited you to a new life. He isn't Lord of your Sunday morning. He's Lord of your whole life. Discipleship needs to go deep enough to change us all the way through in everything that we do, or it isn't worth anything. Number six, doing for God instead of being with God. We have an epidemic in our culture that's much more serious than COVID-19. It's an epidemic of drivenness. People get their worth from how busy they are and how much they can accomplish. And in the last couple of years, I've heard a number of people say how slowing down has helped them to realize how much they had tried to cram into their lives before COVID happened. Does God want our lives to be fruitful? Of course he does. Of course he does. But he doesn't want us living in some kind of frenzied, adrenaline-fueled state of exhaustion. Trying to prove ourselves to him again. We have nothing to prove, folks. You have nothing to prove. He loves you. Period. What he wants is your heart. An activity that doesn't come from a deep, Intimacy with the Father isn't probably as fruitful as you think it is. 
Number seven, <clears throat> spiritualizing away conflict. We sure don't like conflict, do we? Um, and somehow we have the idea that to be a Christian is to be nice all the time and never have conflict. We tend to see conflict as a bad thing and even feel like it's sinful. But avoiding conflict almost always leads to something more sinful. It leads to offense that goes underground in our hearts. It leads to bitterness. It leads to things building up in our hearts and then exploding over some trivial disagreement. We have to learn how to have honest conversations that we need to have. As, as Scripture says in Ephesians uh, 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we will all grow up into maturity. Number eight, <clears throat> covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. For some reason, many of us regularly feel as though we have to prove to ourselves, to God, and to the world around us that we are powerful, that we always get things right, and that we have no issues in our lives or our families, that we're above all of that. We polish our Facebook lives so that the nice parts of us show. Uh, when people ask us how we are, you know, we, we lie and tell them, couldn't be better, no matter how much we might be crumbling on the inside. And if we were to pull back the curtain, folks, and admit the truth, we would discover we all fail. We all deal with areas of weakness. And we all have broken parts of our lives that need healing. And the sooner we put down the masks and realize that we are a group of ragamuffins who just need Jesus, the sooner we can offer one another the grace that we all need. Number nine, living without limits. <clears throat> Some people really struggle to say no. They feel as, if, as though if someone asks for help or money uh, or time, that they would, they would be being unloving and unkind and, and again, even sinful to, to, uh, if they didn't say yes. But we can say yes to so many people that we end up overextending ourselves and becoming emotionally depleted. When you're on an airplane, and the, the flight attendant is going doing the rundown before takeoff. And they, they explain to you that if, if the cabin loses air pressure, that an oxygen mask will drop down in front, from the ceiling in front of you, and, uh, and that you are to put your mask on first before helping anyone else. Right? It's... it's good wisdom, because you need to be able to be functional in order to help someone else. Um, Parker Palmer, uh, 
really, really fantastic author, a Christian author, says self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others, myself. Um, and so, you know, we need to learn our limits and we need to learn to live within them. We need to actually even learn to see our limits as gifts, God protecting us. And number 10, number 10, the 10th symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, judging other people's spiritual journey. This has been one of the most popular Christian pastimes for centuries. Um, we are really good at looking at someone else's life and knowing what they should or should not be doing. The thing is, their journey is different than ours. They're going to grow at a different pace. God's going to deal with different things in their lives and in their hearts at different times and in different orders. Um, we will, you will never answer for someone else's choices. But you will answer for your choice to be judgmental. Right? And so we need to, uh, you know, and what we often do, reason we judge other people is generally so that we feel superior to them, so that we, we feel better about our spiritual state. If we can pull someone else down, then that makes me look like I'm doing okay, right? And so we need to stop it. Right? That's, that's, a, that's a sign that something is wrong on the inside of me, that I would point fingers at someone else and pull apart their spiritual journey without looking, taking a deep look in the mirror at my own heart and my own journey. Right? Jesus, of course, tells the, uh, the hilarious uh, story or, or parable of, of someone... Um, you know, trying to get a speck out of their neighbor's eye when all the while they've got a plank sticking out of their own eye. And, and Jesus says, go away and deal with the plank in your own eye. And then you can help your neighbor with the speck in theirs. And of course, do so in a kind, gentle, loving, and helpful way and not in a, in a, in a way of judgment. So, wow, there's our list of symptoms. And if you're like me, you look at that, if, if, we're, if we're honestly, and, and I would encourage you not just, don't just, okay, pastor, nice sermon, let's move on. I don't, I, oh, I don't think I have any of those. Um, I would encourage you to uh, take a screenshot of this, of this list. Um, write down this list. Uh, or I, I can send you this list. And, um, and let's take an honest uh, look at our hearts. And say, God, if, if any of these are hindering my journey, 
my growth, my maturity, then I ask you to give me the strength, the courage, the grace to let you in to these places in my heart. Peter Scazzaro suggests that, um, that the, two, the two answers to these symptoms are spiritually healthy, spirit, emotionally healthy spirituality, right? So, so looking at the right ways to deal with our emotional, uh, you know, the, the, the parts of my life that are under the surface of that iceberg. Emotionally healthy spirituality and contemplative spirituality. And that sounds like a, a maybe a, a foreign or a scary word to you. If you've never heard that or if you've heard it in a, in a different context, you might think, well, what is that? But I want to suggest to you that it's, it's simply this. Slowing down in God's presence to be still enough to let him go deep in our hearts and deal with uh, our our selfishness and rebellious parts in our in our heart to, to let the transformation that God wants to do in our lives go deep instead of surface. Um, and so we are going to dive into this in the next eight weeks. I encourage you, if you're not already connected to to a connect group, to go to journey with us through this. Call the office, connect with us, help us get you connected. Because the best way to unpack this in our lives, the best way to journey through this, is to do it in the community of others that are wrestling with it at the same time. And that we could be an encouragement and a help to each other. So God bless you and I as we journey through this in the weeks to come. Uh, thank you uh, for joining us today. Thank you in advance for taking this journey of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality seriously. So many of you have bought books and workbooks. So many of you have already said you, you're, you're, you've started to read the book and you're getting so much out of it. I just believe this isn't about, oh, let's just do a book. Let's do a, let's do a book club, right? It's not about that. This is about something I believe is timely, that God is leading us into, that is going to be the next step in our journey to maturity, not just as individuals, but as a church. Folks, I believe in 2022, God wants to take us to a whole new level of spiritual authority, of spiritual impact in our city, of breakthrough. And the only way that that is going to happen is, we, is if we make more room in our hearts, more capacity in our hearts to carry more of the anointing and the presence of God. And that means being transformed. So I want to encourage you, join with us, dive in with us, and journey with us through this. Let me pray for you and for me and for us that... Uh, that God would pour out his, his grace, his mercy, his strength on us as we journey through this. Father, I thank you for every person that's joined with me today. I thank you for every person that calls Evangel their, 
church family. And I pray for those that are joining in that from other churches as well. That God, you would take us on a journey of discovery and a journey of maturity that would truly go deep in our hearts in the days ahead. I pray that we would have the courage to be honest about the condition of our hearts, honest about the level of our own maturity, and that, God, we would have the, the grace that we need to be able to, to invite you into every dark corner of our hearts. This is not all going to be fixed in eight weeks. But, God, you're going to give us understanding over the next eight weeks that will, that will start us on a journey of a lifetime of transformation that will help us to grow into the people you've called us to be. I do pray for, for an increased capacity for your anointing and power and presence upon our church. I do pray that, God, you would do something fresh and new in us and through us, that our city would be turned upside down because of what you're going to do in the next eight weeks. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. We give you thanks and praise. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, I hope you're encouraged and challenged. There is hope. Don't be discouraged by that list. Be encouraged because God has an answer for every one of those symptoms. And he wants to, to pour out in our lives. He wants to take us into places of greater freedom and joy than we've ever known. God bless you. God be with you. Enjoy your Sunday. And uh, hope you get dug out and, uh, and enjoy your storm chips, Pam says. God bless. Take care.